It's all right. I knew about this. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not personal. I shed tears last night. Um, I nearly did, uh, actually, because I, uh, uh, yeah, Justine said, oh, I need you to print something off for the meeting that they're doing now. I was like, well, the, the printing's a bit low. I thought I'd just about have enough. I'll go out and I'll get a print cartridge. So I did, good husband that I am, printed off exactly what Justine needed, came to print my sermon off. Error. I opened up and there's been like an explosion inside the printer. So I'm working off iPad, so bear with me. Bear with me. Um, can I start this morning with a story? Well, I'm going to anyway. Um, two seriously ill men shared a room in the hospital. One of them lying in the bed near the only window in their room. Every day he was allowed to spend some time sitting up in his bed to drain the fluid from his lungs, while the other man was forced to spend all his time flat on his back. They talked about life, they talked about families, jobs, talked about holidays. And every time when the first man sitting by the window was talking, he described in detail what he saw outside. And his roommate always looked forward to these moments when his world was broadened and brightened by what was going on out of the window. He heard of amazing views of a park with a beautiful lake, children playing, ducks, swans, couples walking arm in arm amongst the flowers and the stunning city skyline behind. And when the man by the window had thoroughly described all that was happening outside, his roommate would close his eyes, imagine those beautiful scenes and the life that was going on. But one night, the man whose bed was near the window died in his sleep, much to the sadness of his roommate. And after some time, when the nurse came to visit, the remaining man asked if he could be moved next to the window. The nurse agreed and made the switch. When she left, the man slowly and painfully propped himself up on his elbow so he could take his first look out of that window. But as he did, he was stunned because the window faced a blank wall. When the nurse came around, he told her about the beautiful things outside the window that had been described by his roommate. And the nurse replied, actually, your roommate was blind. He was probably just trying to encourage you. Now, if you've watched the news this week, read a newspaper, glanced at Facebook or Twitter, there's a chance you may have heard something about an election. Um, I should say, after Jack's partly political, uh, partly political broadcast last week in prayer, um, the link was the people in Nepal needed housing and either Ed Miliband was promising to build houses. Um, I told him, I explained to him that the Prime Minister's influence didn't stretch to Nepal and he was probably getting confused with Kevin Davies. Um, <laughs> but anyway, rest assured, we, when we got him out last week, we made him pray for every single political leader in this country. So there's no political fight. We didn't, we didn't. Um, but after that election result, um, some people are greatly encouraged, whereas others are greatly discouraged and left searching for sources of encouragement. Um, I have to admit, I'm a civil servant now, so I've got to be careful what I say. Um, but I have to admit, smiling at a mocked-up newspaper story saying the Scottish River Police were intercepting English migrants attempting to cross the River Tweed. Chief Inspector McTartan informed the reporter 
Uh, I won't do the accent. This is the beginning of a whole new humanitarian crisis for Scotland. Who will take care of these people? Who will pay for all their blankets and deep-fried Mars bars? Not us, Jimmy. The UN are holding an emergency summit in Barbados to discuss how best to handle this immigration crisis. Meanwhile, those who successfully make the crossing are being detained in a tent village just outside Kelso while their applications for asylum are processed. So, this morning, I want to ask, where does your, where does my encouragement come from? So let's turn to 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 to 6. And from the King James Version, no less. If you haven't got your Bible, it's up on the screens as well. It came to pass, when David and his men came, were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, the observant amongst you would have noticed a reference to Abigail, who Wright spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it might be helpful just to do a quick summary of what had happened to David since he'd taken Abigail for his wife. Chapters 26 to 29 of 1 Samuel, despite being hunted by Saul, it was actually David in one incident who had spared Saul's life, even though he could have quite easily killed him. David spared him because he recognized that Saul was the Lord's anointed. After that, David thought to himself, and note, he thought to himself, that one day, even though he had spared Saul's life, he was going to end up dead at the hands of Saul. And so David fled to the land of the Philistines with 600 men and all their families so that Saul would stop searching for him throughout Israel. David and his men settled in Gath, home of Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. And David approached Achish and said in chapter 27, verse 5, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave David the town of Ziklag. From there, David and his men launched attacks on various tribes who were the enemy of Israel, the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, killing every single man and woman so that nobody could inform Achish of David's attacks. When Achish asked David where he'd gone raiding, he'd pretend that he'd attacked the tribes of Israel. And he was convincing, because Achish trusted him and said, he being David, has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. However, following on from that, he then presented David with another problem. When Achish announced, as the Philistines gathered their forces together to fight Israel, in chapter 28, verses 1 to 2, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. 
David was being asked to fight against the Israelites. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So, to summarize that, three chapters very quickly, four chapters very quickly. David wore out, he got out, and he sold out. Psychologist called Rallo May says, Man is the only animal that runs faster when he has lost his way. It seems that sometimes the further we get down into the pit, the faster we start to dig. We get panicked because we know we are not in a good place and we start moving faster because we don't know what else to do. I think we can agree that David had lost his way. He was living a lie. And that lie had just overtaken him. How was he going to get out of this hole? Well, his out actually came from his enemies. And we read in chapter 29 that the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish for allowing David to march with them. Because they were fearful that David and his army would turn on them in the battle against the Israelites. And despite protests from Achish that he'd known David for over a year and he'd found no fault, the commanders forced Achish to send David back to Ziklag. And the scene that they faced when they got there is what we've read in chapter 13. What a mess. Can you imagine what's going through David's mind at this time? As he looks out and sees the devastation at Ziklag. It wasn't supposed to be like this. This was David. This was David anointed by Samuel. David, the killer of Goliath. David, the man of whom they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. He'd led his men into the land of their enemy. They'd lived a lie for over 12 months. And now everything was gone. They couldn't go to Achish for help because he'd learn about the lies they'd told. And going back to Saul was out of the question. Everything was gone. David, probably at his lowest ebb, and fearful his own men were about to turn on him. What did he have to be encouraged about? And where was his encouragement going to come from? We all get discouraged sometimes, don't we? Oh, maybe just me then. <laughs> Anyone ever been discouraged? Brilliant. Not brilliant you've been discouraged, but you know what I mean. It may be a fleeting moment most of the time, but it can affect us all. But, you know, discouragement isn't a sin or even a consequence of sinning. The crux of the matter is how we handle that discouragement because if we don't handle it correctly, that can affect our spiritual life and spiritual growth. Don't make the mistake of Florence Chadwick. In 1952, she attempted to swim the chilly ocean waters between Catalina Island and the California shore. She swam through foggy weather and choppy seas for 15 hours. Her muscles began to cramp. Her resolve weakened. She begged to be taken out of the water, but her mother, riding in the boat alongside, urged her not to give up. She kept trying but grew exhausted and stopped swimming. Aids lifted her out of the water and into the boat. They paddled a few more minutes and the mist broke and she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. All I could see was the fog, she explained at the news conference. If I think, oh sorry, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. 
So this morning, where does our encouragement come from? We've talked about being a community, haven't we? A family at Junction 10. And certainly, we're supposed to encourage one another. I thought back over my time in church and all the people who've encouraged me over the years. And if you're thinking this morning, not this buffoon again, you can blame Maurice White. Because as a teenager in my 20s, it encouraged me to preach from time to time. Sometimes just bringing a five-minute gospel, brief gospel message. But he encouraged me. You can, you can blame him for when I'm leading worship too, because he encouraged us in that. But also thinking there are youth leaders who go out of their way and spend time encouraging us. Taking us to places to play football, to see bands, various other things as well. And encouragement didn't only come from those in leadership. When Phil Mall spoke, not last week, but the time before, he mentioned the old man at church who would always have a toffee for the kids. And I can recall people doing similar things for me and my brother. I think as a pastor's kids, though, we sometimes got a little bit more than just one toffee, but you take, take the perks when you can get them, eh? <laughs> There was a couple at the church that mum and dad were at in Blockswich called Uncle Ted and Auntie Beat. Auntie Beat only passed away a couple of years ago. Tony know, Tony Weeks knows them. I don't recall them actually buying us sweets, but they're always so friendly and welcoming that you look forward to seeing them. You were encouraged when you saw them. I remember being encouraged to play a guitar, even though I knew about three chords, and had to use a cap up and down the neck to make sure I was playing in the right key. Um, remember being encouraged by hearing about how others, people's lives have been transformed after coming to know Jesus. How God had provided for people's needs at just the right moment. How people were stepping out in boldness to pursue visions given to them by God. And in terms of encouragement, I don't think it's any coincidence that Mark Dawson's here with us today. Mark Dawson over from Malaysia. Because seeing Mark Dawson come to know God and really, really grab something and go with it, it's been a huge encouragement for me. Sometimes the encouragement doesn't come from people. It comes from other things. We're encouraged by when we listen to a worship CD, uh, a sermon, a preacher. That may be live. It may be on a podcast or CD or cassette. Sometimes we attend the conference and we're encouraged there. Sometimes we read a book or an article. There's so many places where we can go in order to find encouragement, isn't there? I suggest there's probably more materials available today than ever before that you can pick up and use if you're looking for encouragement. It's actually become an industry, hasn't it? Motivational speakers charge huge sums of money to deliver talks at seminars. You can buy their books. You can buy little fridge magnets with encouraging statements. It's an industry. But what do we do when there is nothing to encourage us. Even in the 21st century, there are times when we'll be alone. Perish the thought, there's times when we won't have a Wi-Fi signal or a phone signal. What do we do in those times for encouragement? David Wilkerson wrote, In normal times, I am able to draw advice from my godly wife, Gwen. She is always there to give me a good word, just what I need. But where do we go in desperate times 
those times where the usual sources of encouragement just aren't cutting it. I perhaps need to issue a warning at this stage, though, because not all sources people seek encouragement from are good or helpful. Despite all the resources out there, the rate of depression in America is increasing by 20% per year. You know, my dad said that once a lady came to church on a Sunday evening and said to, to my dad, we're going to have a great service tonight, Pastor. Encouraged, but a little bit curious. My dad said, well, that's great to hear, but what makes you say that? I read it in my horoscope, <laughs> came the reply. And we can learn from Saul. We need to be responsible where we look for to for encouragement. In that brief overview I gave from chapters 26 to 29, I didn't make reference to Saul after David sparing his life. But in chapter 8, though, we read as the Philistines gathered their army. Saul saw it and was terrified. So let's pick that up from verse 3. Again, it's coming up on the screen. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came up and set camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to meet the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. The woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me, you a Saul? The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face on the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you, why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord, has, the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver you, both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. We read that Saul asked the Lord what to do, but the Lord refused to answer. So in the absence of hearing from God, Saul decides to consult a medium, or a witch, in, as it's headed in some Bibles. 
and call up the spirit of Samuel. Now this was in contradiction to God's law. And Saul himself had quite possibly executed mediums. See how the woman was reluctant to confirm she was one for fear of Saul finding out. And the message Saul got was far from encouraging. In fact, it confirmed his downfall, the loss of his kingdom, and ultimately the loss of his life. You may be thinking, well, that's a bit harsh. Saul inquired of God, and God refused to answer. But there was a reason for this. And Saul's move in contacting the medium just confirmed how far he drifted from God and God's will as a result of his disobedience. At that stage, Saul had lost nothing materially, but he had lost his relationship with God. He saw the enemy's army and he was fearful. When he heard nothing, his response should have been to ask God, why the silence? Examine himself and find out the reason for the silence. Now contrast that to David, who saw that he had lost everything and heard his own men plotting to stone him. What was his response then? Well, David did something that he hadn't done since before the start of chapter 27. David considered God and in doing so, encouraged himself. As you look at the story of David, you read quite often, David inquired of God. But in chapter 27, we read that David thought to himself before heading off to Gath. While there was some sense in David's thinking, and while he continued to fight the enemies of, of the Israelites, he wasn't following God's plan. He fell to pray, and he started talking to himself. David wrote no psalms during the time he was living in the land of the Philistines. And it was only when he was stripped of everything does David go back to God and find his encouragement. You know, we read in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We can, and at times, we have to strengthen ourselves in, in the Lord. And I read from the King James Version, which says encourage. The NIV says that David was strengthened. And let's be honest. At times, we don't get the encouragement from others that we're hoping for or expecting for. Expecting, sorry. But when that happens, we have to take responsibility for our own condition. I was talking to someone recently who'd been in a situation where they feared losing everything. The business had gone, the financial security had gone, and while their family was still there, they were fearful of losing that relationship. And ultimately, they'd started to fear that it would cost them their life. They were still in church, they still had Christians around them, but they were getting no encouragement. At that point, when they could take no more, they cried out to God. Not that they cried out before, but they cried out again. And at that point, he gave them the encouragement to carry on, to consider that everything God had provided for, for them 
even though much of it had been stripped away. I remember years ago being in a group praying for a youth leader who was struggling, who felt completely isolated. Everyone genuinely wanted to help this guy and support him. But as people were praying, I recall thinking, I wasn't going to be there all the time when this guy was alone. There were times when I wasn't going to be around. And you know what? I'm human. And unintentionally, unintentionally, I might let him down. At those times when people, when everything else lets you down, we need to find our encouragement in God. And thankfully, David did. His thoughts returned to God. And he sought the priest, inquiring of God whether he should pursue the Amalekites. He did. He caught up with them with 400 of his men, the other 200 being too exhausted to go. And they fought the Amalekites from dusk on the one day until the evening of the next. And they recovered everything that had been plundered from them. So, in bringing this to a conclusion this morning, what lessons are there for us? to be learning well firstly we have to inquire of God or face falling out of his will for us David was consumed by his own thoughts his own fears even and look at the mess that he got himself into God wanted to give David the kingdom but David was going to settle for Ziklag the second thing is we have to be in a right relationship with God in the absence of not hearing from God at all, our response should be to examine our relationship with him. Because God wants a relationship with us. If you're not hearing from him, stop and get the issue sorted. We don't rush ahead with our best alternative. I don't think anyone here would necessarily rush out and contact a media. But in all we do, we need to have heard from God. And thirdly, we learn to need, sorry, we learn to have to, we have to learn to encourage ourselves. I'd say to everyone here this morning, if you could encourage someone else in whatever way, you absolutely should. And the kids come out, even they might be making a bit of noise, encourage them. Folks on the other end of the age scale might be lonely, encourage them. I'm not saying that we don't do that at all. Or the flip side, I'm not saying that you resist it when someone does want to encourage you. It is grace to encourage each other and to look for, other th- to look for encouragement from other uh, sources. Listen to CDs, listen to sermons. Those are good things. But when or if all, is, all of that is stripped away, we have to be able to encourage ourselves. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking or self-motivation on their own or indeed placing any faith in our own abilities. We encourage ourselves by turning our thoughts to Christ. We find our strength in Christ and we recognise that we have nothing without him. Just as David did, remember his promises, his faithfulness and his provision. His grace, his mercy, his goodness. Recall the joy of your salvation. Recall past victories and remember that God is in control. It sounds crazy, 
But encourage yourself by realizing you have nothing, yet can have everything. God wanted David to get his eyes off his enemies, off his friends, and draw from God the strength and encouragement he needed at this point and in the future. David had to learn to stand alone, dependent solely on God, and finding all he needed through that personal communion, that personal relationship with him. And just as David was brought to his lowest ebb, it was just before he was raised to his highest height, before he was raised to the throne. When things are at their worst with the church and people of God, then it is that they begin to start to mend. And those who have a personal relationship with God know that they can take encouragement from him in even the worst of times. And it's all for his glory. Now, Psalm 18 was written after the Lord had delivered David and from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And I'm just going to finish by reading Psalm 18 from verse 37. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as wind-bound dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners care before me as soon as they hear of me. They obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. And we are those descendants. Take encouragement this morning from what you've experienced in God. Encourage each other, yes, but take encouragement from your own story as well. Thank you.